0: Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. All right, thanks again for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with James Bostwick, who is one of the most respected medical malpractice and personal injury lawyers in the USA. Um, he's the founder of Bostwick and Press, uh, Peterson. excuse me. He's cultivated a reputation as a top-tier specialist in uh, catastrophic malpractice cases and has secured... Numerous uh, record-setting verdicts and settlements. Um, nationally uh, recognized, uh, Bostwick specializes in complex medical malpractice, malpractice, birth injury, uh, wrongful death claims. All these, you know, these very difficult portions of, of law and legal that uh, that you know, unfortunately, we have to deal with day over day. Um, he is uh, a huge proponent of, I guess, championing for these individuals that don't have the proper representation. Um, to note, uh, one of the most impressive things he's done over his career, and that's what we're going to sort of get into over the course of this podcast. Um, he was ultimately able to obtain a record setting verdict uh, for twenty one million dollars for a client. Um, the, the story I'm going let uh, I'm gonna let James uh, tell it. but basically, uh, this is one of the largest verdicts to date for a malpractice suit, and that's what sort of led to uh, his book which is now a bestseller, um, acts of omission. And that's what I, I'd like to sort of dive into a little bit and speak about the the case, the book, um, the current, you know, the state of the the current legal system in the states. All these things are all great topics and, you know, we have an expert. Um, so I'm I'm glad to uh
1: I'm glad to chat. But uh no, thank you for thanks for sitting down. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Sean. Um, so you want me to to basically talk about my background and how I got to, to this point in my career.
0: I would love to, yeah, because I think that when you look at, when you look at the resume that you have now, um, so, you know, you're an accomplished uh, attorney, um, you've, uh, you've had some landmark cases, um, you've now, you're currently, uh, you know, we're working on this book that's been highly successful based on something that's, that's happened, you know, years ago that you have put out into the public, Um, how do you get to this point in your career? Um, what's like, what's your origin story? Where did you come from? Where did you find the passion for, for law, this particular type of law and what sort of drove you to where you are today?
2: Well, you know, many people that go into this have been interested in that their whole life. Uh, with me, it's very, very different. I, I was uh, my father was a doctor, my mother a nurse. I loved medicine. I, I always wanted to be a doctor, and it wasn't until my senior year in, uh, in the University of Washington that I realized that that actually probably wasn't a good path for me because I hated chemistry for one thing, and uh, and I I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, so my friends were taking the yeah, you know, the LST, and uh, you know, I didn't even know what it was. Uh, so I went and took the exam, happened to get a good score, got into a school that was famous for uh, having what they call a revolving door, at Hastings, in, here in San Francisco. They would let anybody in, which is why I got in, I guess, and uh, and very few managed to make it all the way through. It was uh, about uh, about a third. Uh, 650 of us started and just over 200 of us graduated. Um, And that's when I, when I became, uh, you know, a a part of the law and I fascinated, I loved it, uh, but I never, I didn't know what I wanted to do with the law. In fact, my, my thought was, well, I'll go and I'll get a, a master's degree in business and I'll put the two together and I'll do something, you know, anything that, but, keep from having to go out and work, you know, um, but I was putting myself to school and I had lots of different kinds of jobs. So I sent out 150 letters to 150 law firms and, uh, and I got a a few back and it it just happened uh, that uh, a couple of them were from, um, trial law firms, actually very famous, very well known trial law firms. I didn't even know what a trial lawyer was, uh, it had never occurred to me to do that, uh, for that to be part of my life. But I went to work for one of them, uh, luckily for me, probably one of the best uh, firms in the country that do this kind of work. And I, I just found I loved it. It was, you know, I was I was a law clerk, I wasn't out of law school yet, but I went, you know, I got a job with them and I went right on to it. And, Immediately, because of my background and because of my love for medicine, I gravitated to those kinds of cases uh, because it's a natural for me. So, I mean, I could speak the language. I, I knew enough about medicine. I understood it. Um, so I started doing not only all different kinds of medical mal- uh, malpractice cases and other kinds of personal injury cases, but um, that that became my, my niche, you know, we uh, had the whole cross section, but that became my niche. 10 years later, uh, uh, I was a partner there, but I, uh, few of us started to go up and decided to go off on our own and off we went to, uh, to start a law firm. Or I was really lucky was, uh, this was kind of a, a, kind of an interesting story. Um, our, our senior partner, his name was Bruce Walker was a, probably one of the if not the uh, the best trial lawyer, certainly one of the top four or five trial lawyers in the whole country. Uh, the first million dollar verdict, <clears throat> the first multi million dollar verdict. A very brilliant man, uh, very good judgment, and a great mentor. And when we left the firm, Bruce, you know, unlike fighting with us and having a big problem like many law firms did when they broke up. He was very, had a lot of common sense. He said, you guys take all of your cases and just send me back 50% of the fee. You know, you you uh, spend all the money on them. You take all the risk. If you win, send me 50%. Well, that gave us a whole body of cases to work on and it gave him a bunch of money coming to him with the guys that are out there trying to make it to the world. That was very sensible. He said, there's only one case I want you to leave here. Jim, he said, I want you to leave that case that came in because of that huge verdict I got. And I want you to leave that, that that little girl, Lori. She was a, she had been 13 when she became a quadriplegic from, we thought, possibly medical malpractice. She was now 16 or 17. She was living in a nursing home. Her father had abandoned the family. Her her brother was a neer well Her mother had MS, couldn't help her. So she was living in a nursing home at 16. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want that case. And I said, that couldn't be anything better for that little girl than you take that case, Bruce. A year later, he called me and he said, Jim, would you take that Lori Necichet case on the same basis of our prior deal? I said, well, of course I would. But why? And he said, because she calls me two or three times a week and all she can talk about is you because you're like her big brother. Will you take it? I think it'd be good for her. So I got to work on this wonderful, huge case, which had a lot of problems uh, because it was radiotherapy. It was uh, a radiation therapy. It was uh, the very new specialty in medicine. It was something that nobody had ever done before, really. Uh, no cases like it. There were only maybe a little over a hundred doctors in the whole world that did that kind of work. So I and I think I talked to almost every damn one of them, um, trying to find an expert. I thought it was a case. I really knew it was a case, but I couldn't find any. They all knew each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Finally, I found that guy in London who was called the grandfather of radiation therapy, who had retired uh, and it was in, well, in his late 80s, who said, it is absolutely a case, I'll come and testify. And I tried that case back in the 70s for nine weeks. Uh, no offer, well, they had a little offer and they withdrew it during the trial. And the verdict was the largest medical malpractice verdict in the history of the country it was on Walter Cronkite. It was, a, a you know, it was yeah. in newspapers all over the world. And that's what really that
1: interesting
2: sequence of events is what really got my career going and in, in this field. Um, so then, you know, after that, of course we do lots of different kinds of cases uh and I've had different permutations of my firm um but a later case that um that was quite interesting which is the basis of the book you're talking about uh and I and I'll tell you la- later why I wrote the book but that was fascinating because uh I was still a young lawyer uh, in the 80s uh and uh I uh It was you know barely hanging in there in practice, and um, this case came to me again with a person. And when I say quadriplegic, I mean a person's paralyzed from the neck down. That's what this little girl was, and that's what this young man was—paralyzed from the neck down, from what we thought might be medical malpractice. Um, But the problem was, is that yes, it was maybe medical malpractice, but the lawyer that had handled the case had allowed the statute to run on that. So there was no way to bring that lawsuit uh, against the doctors in the hospital. The lawsuit had to be against the lawyer. Hmm. Uh, so you, you would have to prove not only the medical malpractice case, what they call a case within a case, that actually it was a good case and, and would have been successful had he had he done it right, but you also had to Proved medical malpractice, our legal malpractice—that yeah. the that yeah—that the lawyer did something wrong. And the the big problem the case was that this was probably the most famous lawyer in the entire country. He was certainly beloved in San Francisco. He was in the papers virtually every day. The media loved him. The local bar loved him. The public loved him because he you know he was. Very famous and uh, and always worth a great quote and quite a character. So I had to decide whether I wanted, and everybody said I shouldn't take the case. And I had to decide whether I wanted to take that case on against this famous guy and risk really um, my reputation, uh, the firm, and my future in the the legal uh, trial practice a world. Um, I did it, uh, and uh, the case worked out well. Uh, but it was quite an interesting uh, journey. That made a great, obviously, because of those tensions. That made a great uh, underlying skeleton of a of a fun novel. The novel, of course, is highly fictionalized version of that. Uh, but that 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 became the guts of the novel.
1: I, I love this I story. Oh, go ahead, me No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have a question
0: out of that, but I was gonna No, keep going. Yeah, Finish go the story, then I'll um I guess I guess my question uh is you know, you had a very early success, um and, and, and obviously the success continued. Um probably I don't think that every success of, over the course of the career was like a, a record breaking success, but there's a lot of successes. Um my Exactly. My my question was, you know, at what point uh, do you want to to branch out? And and I guess you're probably going to segue into that with like, why did you want to to write a book? Why was this something that, you know, you felt the need to tell over the story? Because I'm sure there's a lot of cases that are just as emotional that aren't told over, which I think would make great stories, but we don't know about them. So I think that it's a it's great that you've done it. Why? What was like your your motivator? Was this? am I, am I jumping into the the story too soon? Or (laughs) I apologize. if I No,
2: actually that is exactly where I, where I was going to go. Next was, it was, well, why write a novel? You know, you're doing cases, you have people that represent, uh, I mean, Lord, I'm busy. I mean, I, I, I'm still working, you know, 150% not right at the moment because I'm working from home like we all are. But, uh, but I, I mean, I fly 188 thousand miles a year. Um, I, I'm a very busy trial lawyer. Why did I want to write a novel? And, and, and the answer is, well, I love reading. I mean, I'm, I, I, am nuts about reading. I love to read books <clears throat> and because I read so much in my, you know, in my business life as a trial lawyer, I wanted to read, you know, I read stuff that's, uh, my wife calls junk, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't agree with her. Uh, she once in a while turns me on to some actually good literature, uh, but I, I like legal thrillers and stuff like that. I mean, I love that stuff. And but I but I had it very frustrating over the years to read it, and because number one, it's it's all about criminal law mostly, uh, which is fascinating, and and I, I love that stuff and everything. But there are way more lawyers out there that are doing civil work that you know that the public they need civil lawyers too they need civil lawyers for their business disputes they need civil lawyers uh to take care of their custody issues and divorces and estate issues and and when they get injured um and you know there are lots of civil lawyers out there working their tails off uh and there really aren't any books written about them. And maybe, you know, and it's actually can be as exciting. It can be just as nerve wracking. Uh, And it can be as huge risk involved for the, both the parties and the lawyer, but nobody writes about it. Well, with the exception occasionally of some very famous authors who like to make jokes about it and talk about the stereotypes, you know, the ambulance chasing, which of course gets it. You know, it, it's a typical, stereotypical reaction. That's what all the civil lawyers are like. In reality, of course, there are lawyers like that, but very few, very few. The, the, you know, the huge majority of them out there taking big risks for clients that they've gotten, you know, pump maybe too emotionally involved with and, and are trying to, trying to do what they can for them. I wanted to tell that story. I wanted, to, and, I, and the other thing that really bothered me about legal books and TV and and uh, you know and movies is it's not realistic. Any lawyer that looks at, reads you know, what's going on in a courtroom or reads what's happening and sees it on a movie, they it, they shake their heads because it's it's just not what happens in real life. And real life can be just as interesting, but it's not authentic and i I thought, what like, maybe can somebody write a book that is not only fun and mm-hmm. has romance and has danger and has betrayal and has risk, has all those fun things but also is very authentic is actually mm-hmm. what what the law is really like, what lawyers really have to go through and what they think and what they worry about and and where they you know, some there isn't a lawyer that has done what I do that hasn't set the farm at one point or another on some case where where they're not sure what the result's gonna be, but they just feel I owe it to the client.
1: Now as, I want to
2: write about that.
0: I, I, I think that's valid. I think that there's a the I think the, the reason why you're writing it out and building out like, you know, basically uh Every, every time you put stuff out into the world, like you build out your own brand, I, I appreciate the, like, I guess the, the honest reason as to why you're putting this out. And I think it's important as somebody who is a successful lawyer, are you looking to do more? Are you looking to, to create more content? Is this something that you'd want to take on? Or is this just something that was like a, a really strong passion project that ended up and like, I, we didn't even speak about, tell me, like, tell me some of the things you mentioned before, because um, I don't want to misquote but the, the accolades, like this book is it like, it, it won an award. Um, it's, it's sold out of its first iteration. So now it's going to, I think, paperback, but tell, walk through some of the things that it's won. And I guess, like, what do you want to do next with, you know, now you're, now you're an author, which is a, a fun thing. What do you want to do next with it?
2: Well, um, it didn't win anything. It has been nominated. For, okay. uh I'm very, very honored that it has been nominated for the 2020 Harper Lee Legal Fiction Award. Uh okay. It's it's uh, the the Harper Lee Foundation is uh, governed by the University of Alabama Law School, and I was, you know, honored to have been nominated by the law school. Actually, the folks that administer the, <clears throat> I, I don't have any idea how they even saw the book or, or how they knew about it, but they nominated it for this award. Um, in May, typically they pick three finalists. So pretty soon. And then usually in the summer, I don't know how that's going to work this year, but uh mm-hmm. usually in the summer, they, there, there's a, the finalist is announced. And, uh, so my, you know, obviously I'm not planning on, on, on winning it, but it's a huge honor to have been nominated uh, for because that's one of the most prestigious awards, and it is the award for this genre, this uh, legal fiction. Um, so that's great. Yes, uh, the, the hardbound book is completely sold out of the first edition. Um, there are still some around in the bookstores that are all shut, unfortunately, shut down right now. Um, but I think. You know, the, the publisher's completely out of them. They're, they're gone. The hardbound is supposed to come out uh, in July, I think the 9th. Uh, so it can be pre-ordered at this point. And there's an Audible, actually. Uh, the Audible is is great. I'd never, I, I read books, you know, I, I'd never listened to an Audible before. And uh, so the first Audible I ever listened to was mine, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> and Roger Wayne who's a yeah. Roger Wayne is the uh the narrator and he's great. Uh he's an actor and he he really got the characters and he does different voices and that that's kinda fun. Uh if you're the kind of person that has to drive long distances, uh, Audible is, is, a, is a lot a lot of I fun it's hard for Audible's you to have, have the time. <laughs> is it? Yeah. yeah I, I love wasn't it. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that's, you know, it, and it's, you know, there's uh, three or 400, uh, you know, reviews and they most all of them are five star, four star. And uh, that, that's, that's,
0: no, it's, it's, it's doing really well. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know if this is the norm for somebody who's written the first book. I'm assuming not. I'm assuming that most people that write a book for the first time, and this is what I'm glad I clarified because I actually wasn't sure if it was just a historical account. Of the trial that you won, or it was a a fiction that was based on a lot of the facts that were presented, but it like it wasn't a true historical. So now I understand; it makes a lot more sense to me. But I don't think a lot of people have this much success. I'm looking at some of the reviews as we chat, and it's done really well. For you know, in all seriousness, your first your first book that's that's very impressive. Very very good.
2: Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I'm amazed because I mean I didn't think. I mean, I write for legal stuff. I write briefs and stuff like that, and. and, and why, what made me think I could write a novel? Well, I didn't um, actually, when I would complain about, you know, books not being authentic. And my my wife said, heck, stop complaining. Write your own damn book. <laughs> your wife and sounds I said, like well, she, nah, nah. best for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, and she, she said, well, I signed us up for a novel class. I, I see what? Yeah. Yeah. For your, your birthday, how to write your first novel over the age of 40. I, I signed this up. Yeah. And so we did. We went. And it just kept going. Uh, and, and actually, you know, I wrote, oh, maybe two-thirds of it while my daughter was a baby. Because you know, we we'd put her to bed early. We couldn't go out. And so I was writing at night. And uh became a habit, which it has to be for me. And then my second daughter was born, <laughs> and she did not go to sleep. That was the end of the writing. So it was years later, I went back and said, Well, that was stupid. I finished the damn book. And so I did. Uh, and I, I finished the book. And then, of course, that's what, when you're a quote writer, unquote, uh, and there's a lot of people out there that will understand that thing, is then what do you do? Yeah. Then what? I mean, I had no idea what to do with this. I had about 500 pages in a computer. Uh, and, and along the way, I'd actually lost most of it, I thought. And luckily, a friend who I'd sent it to sent it back to me in a floppy. If you remember, when they used to have floppy disks. No. <laughs> that's, that's and I, and I, I was able to sure. get going with it again. Yeah. Um, so I just sat there. and But a, a former client... Who uh, whose son was born uh, with a birth injury? He was a it was a uh, medical malpractice case, and we became friends when I was handling his his child's case. He came to the depositions. He got very involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And but it happens that he's a, a well known movie producer in uh, L. A. And uh, he he heard that I did the book, so he said, "Well, let me read it." I said, okay. And I sent it to him, you know, kind of thinking, Oh my God. Well, I didn't hear from him for four years. And I thought, Oh my God, he hated it. (laughs) Clearly he hated it. And so he's just afraid to call me and tell me how bad it was. Um, Then one day he called me uh, a year or so ago and he said, Jim, I finally read the damn book. I love it. He said, it's it's, it's, my favorite book and movie of all time, he said in the legal genre is uh you know, is the verdict. Yeah. And Paul Newman played you know, in the verdict. And he said, This is this is like that. This is better, I think. I wanna make a movie out of it. Well, uh, wow, okay, that's cool. He says, Yeah, but then we can't make a movie out of it until it's been published. So he helped me get a couple agents and then that started the process, you know. And it wasn't really until some very difficult and and cutthroat editing which i had to do taking the book down from about 550 to about 450 pages that it really i think became something that was readable Mm -hmm. something that had the fat cut out of it something that kept people going you know and are there people that, that you know that give me negative reviews yeah that's yeah that's wonderful out there it's like you know, it's like a painting. Some people like the painting. Some people think it's horrible. Uh, writing a book is like that. It's it's a creative thing you put out there for the world. Some people love it. Other people, you know, it's just not their, their thing. You
0: know? but I'll tell you something, though. It, you, can't, you can't ever make content. You can't ever make anything that's, that's suited for everyone. And if you are, exactly. then it's not going really content. Yeah.
2: That's right. That's right. I... I I think it's just fascinating sometimes when I see the negative reviews as as it's all these great, you oh, yeah. know, uh, thing. It's, it makes it real, you know, it makes it, it shows a cross section of people who are actually out there reading it. Yeah.
0: That's which is, you know, that's, that's what you want. So, see, but still, I, yep. I, I don't know what I, you didn't answer my question. Like what's next? I, I'm curious because <laughs> you have this book, you, you have to figure out what's, do you want to do another one or is this like a, a one and done?
2: It's meant as a trilogy okay uh, okay. uh it, it's meant as a trilogy and uh and so and i have i definitely have the uh, uh the plot line in my head, and i am working on the sequel uh and the way I operate is that i have to kind- of, it i don't work from an outline some writers need an outline and and that works really well for them. When I'm writing, uh, it starts just coming out of my head. It's wonderful, Mm -hmm. really. When you get when the flow gets going, yeah, I would find myself, yeah. And if if you've done any any creative writing, you know, I think when I'm in the shower, I'm suddenly thinking about, well, don't know what's going to happen to this guy? What's going to happen next? And then I have to stop myself and say, wait a minute, he's not real. Yeah, you made him up what is going to happen next is you're going to have out of your head. They come, they become a a lot, they start doing things you never.
0: I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more supplies, people shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it Text success. That's S U C C E S S to five five one two three to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.
2: Expected they do. That's when it becomes a fascinating project, and that's when they have a life of their own. And I think that's what gives them some real dimension to the reader. I think.
1: I agree. I, I, so I, it, I like...
2: it's there. It's happening, it's the... and I'm I'm okay. working on it. You know.
0: Um. I, I love that uh that uh you know it, it's nice to see that you've you've done this uh, successfully after after a great career um i think that that's a lesson for a lot of people listening that it literally you know it don't, don't be so you can be laser focused on being successful in whatever you want to be successful in but it doesn't mean that other things can't things that you may have not even realized uh you know come into your life and you can take them on and and it, it may be something like you might, like this. It seems like it was like a very long project that finally came to fruition. And like now look at where it is. Right. So that's that's a very good lesson for people that are, are listening um, to to be focused on what what matters and be focused on your primary objective and whatnot. But also don't don't discount anything else, because I don't think that life ever ends up exactly. Look at what we're dealing with now. Life never ends up exactly what what we think it's going to end up like. So the more open we are to um, different ways of, you know, growing ourselves professionally, uh, you know, of course, you, you write a book, there's some money, that's great. Obviously, you know, as a, as a lifelong trial attorney, it's probably not to the same extent as like what you actually do for a living. But you know, maybe one day it could be. Um, these are all these different ways to sort of diversify. And I think that um, I mentioned this very briefly before we chatted. But what I wanted to pull out of this was, you've had your entire career, you started a book, it was successful. Everyone, a lot, not everyone, a lot of people right now are dealing with a lot of disruption in their lives. Their their norm is is just completely revoked, like they have, they've been fired, they've been let go, they've been furloughed, uh, they can't complete their job, they can't make their money, they're stressed about, you know, feeding their family and whatnot, and all these things that are very important are now being sort of flipped on their head and people have to figure out how to deal with it. Just know that you can go into something new and be successful. Um, and this may be this may, you know, a lot of people are stressed out, but this would be a very good time, in my opinion, at least, to start to try and do things. And I think you're just like you're living, breathing proof that there's literally no time in your life when you can't start something. So that's really what I don't know what your opinion is, if you agree, disagree. Uh, but that's what I got out of it.
2: Oh, I absolutely agree with you. The, this, and this is one of those extraordinary moments in history. I mean, we are uh, going through uh, something that, you know, in our lifetimes, we've not. I mean, I was, you know, I was born during the Second World War, but I don't remember it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and and that, of course, was an extraordinary event, you know, we've been through 9-11, you know. Folks, my vintage went through Vietnam and the incredible things that changed the country and changed thinking. Um, This is this is at at that level and 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 perhaps way more. And I think I think that we we have to uh, um, refresh our thinking. I think we have to take what it's it's the the bad things and look at how we. Change them, how we fix them, and where we go from here, I think yeah. as a country at, at, at the our institutions, how we take care of the vulnerable in our society, uh, what what we do about uh, folks that you know are homeless, we're having to address all that uh, and we're and, and we're having to do it from home uh, mm-hmm. we're having to do it and and that the same thing is in, in people's personal lives i mean it, i i'm very lucky uh and and could my business uh completely collapse because of this crisis absolutely i mean we're like all businesses unless they happen to be amazon and they're delivering things to people uh, or, or they're in, you know in the essential category where they uh, are working twice as hard uh, and putting themselves at risk. Most of us, our businesses are are they're they have the spigot cut off. Uh, we, you know I'm trying I'm 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 working more hours and and longer days and seven days a week and. and I'm not really able to move my cases because for the first time I think uh, in the the history of the, of the American judicial system, it is shut down.
1: Yeah.
2: And when I say shut down, I don't, I, I don't mean that there aren't some judges in there working with clerks from home and the judges may be in the office and may be working from home trying to do certain things that have to be done. But basic things that we need are not happening in the justice system, and the ultimate thing you need for criminal situations and for uh, to, to where a defendant can find out are they guilty or are they going to be acquitted, or in a civil case, uh, you know, is is the defendant going to be held responsible? Is the family going to be able to get some money to take care of the loved one uh, and and have a life for a change? That is all ground to a halt that has never happened uh and so those institutions need to look at that but all, all of us that are sitting there thinking about how did I get in this place have an opportunity too. if we can look at it, that, and that's what I think you were saying there's an opportunity yeah. to think out of the box keep an yeah. open mind think think of other things you can do Think of the other possibilities. I mean, you know, obviously not. Everybody's not going to go out and write a novel. Um, that, but there are so many other things that you need to be open to. And I, I think it's a. I won't, I'm not going to call it a wonderful opportunity because there's nothing wonderful about what's going on. But I, I think it is. It is an opportunity,
1: yeah, which
2: we should I, grab a hold of.
0: I agree. Um, I want to, you know, I, I'm just curious your your insight because you're still, you're living through it. What does, you know, what does justice look like today? What does a system look like today? How are we, how are we, because people don't stop committing crimes. People don't stop, people don't stop having to be put through, you know, our justice system. But how do we do that remotely? That seems like an, an incredibly difficult task and I don't know how we're doing it. I'm curious just to get your your input.
2: Well, the fact is that we don't uh we don't know how to deal with it where the courts are flailing um right from the Supreme Court of the United States down uh actually the supreme court is, has decided they're going to have some hearings and they're going to have them orally and they're going to and they're going to have them be uh public for the first time ever and that's um that's new see they're thinking. Okay, they're thinking there's a fresh spot there.
1: Mm-hmm. All
2: right, we have this problem. Let's approach it from a little bit different standpoint. That's transparency. That is a good thing. I mean, it's a bad thing that we have to have only oral arguments on the phone. Uh, it's a good thing that they're thinking about transparency. So right from the top, there's an opportunity for change. In in courts all over the country, in every state, everybody's doing it differently. That's another problem, because we have you know we I have you know I'm, I'm in a, in a, a state with all these different counties. One county has stopped all jury trials for 90 days, another county has stopped all jury trials for 60 days. Another county has said, we're going to take everything on calendar and shove it down 90 days or 60 days, and we're going to move everybody as far out as the calendar goes so Everybody remains in line that's a sensible thing to do. The ones that just stopped the ones that were coming up, they're gonna have a wave hit them whenever we can start getting back to some semblance of normal, and I use that word normal very advisedly, uh, that is not gonna be normal. Uh, I think that's what we all don't, we don't want to admit to ourselves, it's not gonna be the same, not for maybe a long time, possibly if ever. And the courts have to adjust to that and they're starting to work on that. The lawyers are are working to try to help the courts and the courts are working to try to help the lawyers. And that's all good. That is is a good synergy that is going to be, again, something good is going to come out of a very bad situation. But in the meantime, it's awful. Uh, There are actually less crimes, I hear, because people are home, they're not out yeah. and and so there's there are less crimes occurring, and people are sheltering, so they're not out doing bad things and so in a weird way, that's a good thing. Um, but there are still crimes there are criminals that you know that have been and there, there may or may not be criminals there are people that mm-hmm. have been accused under the law. They have a right to a, um, a speedy trial. They have I'm, a right to be arraigned quickly. They had this yeah. happen and all that. Well, what did all defendants usually do? They waived that because they went, what is good. Delay someday. Now the Lord get me bail. You know, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll face this. You know, I'll face this tomorrow. I'll face this next year. What do they all do now? I refuse to waive time. I have a yeah. constitutional right to a speedy trial. You can't give it to me. You want to go. it give up. It's a huge problem the courts are trying to deal with. When we do get back working and we do get the courts actually grinding back into operation, when and again, all of the courts, the judge is going to have to deal with first criminal cases. The civil cases will be will have. They don't have the priority that the criminal cases do. So this mother who has a brain damaged child who has been working twenty four seven night and day, you know, working herself and her family to the bone to try to help this poor child who's been waiting three four years for their trial date. Now I have to maybe have to wait another year or two. They may not be able to. They may not be able to. St- manic they may not be able to physically handle that and that's just an example mm-hmm. you know uh when somebody that's dying of cancer uh their case needs to be heard before they're gone that may just not happen there may be no way in hell their case can be heard before they die um and- a lot of
0: repercussions a ton of repercussions that
2: are well, and I haven't even come to the biggest one, is that the, in the end, in our justice system, what is the, the what is the thing that that decides everything? What, what It's the final exam where you get your grade. What is it? Yeah. It's the trial. It's where the jury says, yay or nay, that the defendant is guilty or not. The, uh, the, the plaintiff who is injured uh, has a case or they don't. That's what juries do. How do we have a jury trial if people have to be at least six feet apart from each other and with masks on? How do I pick a jury if they have a mask on and I can't tell whether they're smiling at me or sneering?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How, how do I pick a jury if we have to do it on TV? how does a jury make a jury decision if all the witnesses have been seen on TV, like some movie or some TV show?
1: Mm, There's no emotion. Um,
2: There's nothing. There's nothing. The, what is great about our system is it's up close and personal in a court. Yeah. It's people seeing each other sweat. It's seeing each other move and fidget. It's watching body language. It's, it's that, instinct that smell that you get in a courtroom
1: yeah uh, when you know someone's
2: lying you know, or wh-
0: someone's yeah yeah you get those feelings you can read people
2: yes and and the best thing is when a jury you know a lot of people want to stay out of jury service and all that but if they actually go through it usually they love it because it's a wonderful process because it's 12 totally different people coming together using all their different views of life to make a sensible decision. And that combination, if it's done right and if they have the right attitude, is, is fabulous. What it's what made persistently uh thousands of years of civilization. This is the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's the best. How do they do that if they're interacting with each other on TV? I don't know. I don't know. And maybe we can get back to normal or maybe the new normal is something different than what we have. That really worries me.
1: Well, I'll tell you, regardless of what, of
0: what the new normal looks like, or if the normal is a more semblance of what it used to be, there's going to be lasting impact, even if minor, uh, to a point where the justice system, well, it's not just justice system. I'm speaking about justice system because you're a lawyer, but every Go conversation ahead. I have is, you know, what the industry pick your industry it's changed forever basically and there's no yep. there's no way around it everything yeah
2: everything i mean uh, how how does how do the restaurants come back and be the same uh so many wonderful restaurants most restaurants are kind of on the edge anyway how are they going to survive this when they come back, if they have to have people sitting six Mm -hmm. feet apart, if the waiters are all got masks on and gloves, are people going to go out? Are they used to now ordering out now? Are they used to cooking at home? You know, which is not a bad thing. What happened to that industry? Are we going to have hotels doing as well? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be traveling as much? Um, There are going to be other viruses is this virus going to mutate even if we can find a cure? And even if we can find a vaccine? Hell, we've had vaccines for flu for years, but they're rarely a vaccine that is, uh, you know, makes us bulletproof from the flu. If it mutates, we may face this, you know, it also again, does, uh, the
1: psychological it's, uh, impact.
0: You know, it even, I, I reference this a lot, but. In Wuhan, where it was obviously uh, you know ground zero, and now they're allowed to go back to restaurants and they're allowed to go, but nobody's going to restaurants. Nobody's going out. No, everyone's too afraid, and you don't know how long that's going to last for either.
2: That's right. Yeah. I mean, when I walk up on the mountain behind our house, ring mountain. I mean, people are people have masks on in the outdoors on a mountain. And people are walking off the path and standing out in the brush where the chicks are <laughs> rather than be near somebody who's walking by them. Not everybody, uh, but this is changing the world. We can't even, we nod now, but we can't smile because we can't see the smile. Um, it's a, it's um, the far reaching impact of this is a, uh, it's just beginning to dawn on all of us, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting.
0: Um, you know, I, I'm, I mentioned this before, but I think that as, uh, as this drags on, I, I would love to, to get your, obviously it's nice to speak about the, the book and hopefully it does very well, but I would love to still get your, you know, your ongoing insight as to how this justice system is coping because that's something that I find very interesting as well. Personally, I find it very interesting. <laughs> just it's an, incredible, the amount of disruption. Um, but, anyways, I digress. Um, no, I,
2: I can tell you, ahead. I can tell you a little bit, a little bit about that because, um, I mean, we have folks that have been uh, heads of major organizations in the uh, in the bar, yeah. particularly those organizations that are from both sides, plaintiff and defense. Those organizations have been, you know, we've been having ad hoc meetings and we've been coming up with guidelines that we can help and recommend to the court and help each other uh, and recommend to the governors of the states and things like that. Uh, And what they, and I think, and they're in line with what we were talking about before, you know, look for a way to have this improve how we do things uh, Mm -hmm. and get the courts more involved in streamlining the process. I uh, get the courts more involved in making sure the cases move and, um, and, and, and how can the courts really help with that in a, in a positive way? How can yeah. the lawyers help with that? How can they volunteer their time to, um, to sit in and act as special masters to help cases move, help make decisions on behalf of the court to the judges and be busy and, and, Sit pro tem because lawyers can be appointed by the court, take an oath, and sit down and have the same power as any judge that was appointed or elected. Uh, because under the authority of most courts, they can sit pro tem and do that. Yeah. Experienced lawyers should all volunteer to do that to help the courts. And then we're going to the big biggest problem they're going to have then is: are we going to have rooms to 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 do the trials in? Bench mm-hmm. trials. That shouldn't be a problem. Jury trials? I don't know. You know, I've actually visualized how do you see the jury? You don't put it in little plastic cocoons. That would be stifling and suffocating. It would be horrible. So maybe we put them in the back of the room where the gallery usually sits and spread them all out. And we as lawyers would be trying the case to the back of the room. As opposed, and the judge yeah. would be behind us, you know, and the witness maybe sit up. I mean we gotta think fresh. Yeah. We gotta think about how we can do this and have it still be safe, but it's to be a good system, you know.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Very good. Um a couple uh I just have a couple like uh, sort of life lesson questions that you've uh probably have some insight over your career that I like to ask. But before, um, is there anything else about uh the book, that, you know, your career or, or our current legal landscape, sort of the topics that we've covered that you wanted to, that you wanted to speak about? Did we cover everything or?
2: Oh, no, I think we've hit uh, we a lot of, uh, <laughs> all of it could be talked about it depth, but I think we've hit a lot of high points.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Very good. Um, I appreciate that. And thank, thank you. Um, the, the, the one question I like to ask everyone is um, a lesson that you would tell your younger self
1: across your career uh, that would help you get to where you are a little bit quicker? Oh,
2: how would I get to where I am quicker?
1: Yeah. Or it doesn't have to be quicker. That's probably the wrong word. But just,
0: just think of it as a lesson that you would tell yourself after, after your entire career that somebody who's listening uh, could take and, and sort of implement right now, like a, a, some wise words, I guess, is the best way to put it.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that that I would say to young lawyers and to uh, young people that are starting out in any uh, business context uh, is that there is a and, and I, I I I have mentored many young lawyers along the way, and my son is a lawyer with us, and I am mentoring him, which is a wonderful, uh, lucky experience for me. Um, and so, what I what I think about, I think the the most important salient thing I can say is, you know, you don't have to approach uh, your your uh, attack uh, in, in the world in a competitive adversarial way. You can accomplish as much or more, usually a lot more by approaching things in a way that tries to bring people together in whatever's going on, try not to become at odds with uh, the person that you're uh, dealing with. Who's your competitor for one thing. And and in our field, it's the guy on the other side, your Mm -hmm. adversary Uh, in business. It's the people you're competing with to sell something or, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to go about things that don't involve uh, knocking heads. There's a, and, and it takes young people a while to get that. And I think the sooner you get it and the sooner you learn how to work around that and come back to how can we do this in a way that benefits both of us? How can we do this in a way that is not negative? Uh, there's so many aspects of, and business life and, and all different walks of business life where that is an important concept that gets you so much farther down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also makes you feel better and makes them feel better.
0: Very good. That's you a know. good, that's a good one. I, I haven't good. heard that one before, but it's very good.
1: Um, okay. one, uh, Oh, I
0: have one more thing for you. I have one more thing. Um, where where would you, or where do you go to learn and grow? Like, do um, you have a book, uh, a podcast, an Audible? What's your go-to right now that you would suggest somebody uh, go to
1: to read or learn? I am... Um, it doesn't uh,
2: have to like be
0: non-fictional. It can be a creative a fictional work. You mentioned you like uh,
1: legal fiction. There's something that has inspired you, and there's lessons that you could... Pull out of it.
2: Well, I do so much massive reading in the work I do um, that I <laughs> it, it, it that I I I don't have time, and that's a terrible shame because I lose out by not not going to those places um, to to do that. Um, but I where I go is I go to my colleagues. I go to other people I know and respect mm-hmm. and I talk with them and I, 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 I raise subjects and I play the devil's advocate and I listen to what they say because uh, in the end, many of the best ideas of the world are just a synthesis of previous ideas, other people's ideas. And if you put two or three good ideas together, then you get a wonderful new idea. Uh, and so that's my main source, always has been in in working on my you know trial law and my cases and how to do things and working on business aspects and 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 in my personal life um, and how to deal with my children when they were adolescents and you know all that kind of stuff. That's that's how I've done it. Just in terms it. of reading, yeah, in terms of reading for fiction reading, I I I, I have real I found a, a fellow by the name of Peter May, who's an English author, who wrote a great series of trilogy about the Hebrides. I think he's a marvelous and it's it's a mystery He's done it. But it's he's a marvelous use of the language. And interestingly enough I haven't read it yet, but he just uh, he just republished a book about a pandemic in London. And I'm kind of looking forward to reading that because he's a very good author.
0: Very good. Um, and if people want to, uh, you know, go find acts of a mission, I'm sure they can go to Amazon, but other on any other places they can connect with you, uh, reach out to you, uh, social media websites, that kind of thing.
2: Oh yeah, we have uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh we have all of that and LinkedIn. It, it's it's in all those medias. Uh okay. yeah, I am I, I have to tell you, I am a technologic genius, of course, uh being in my seventies. <laughs> 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 I, I I I don't know anything. I have wonderful young people that are teaching me about this. But good, there, are, good. Uh, th- those are those are great places to go, and and of course Amazon and uh, the uh, my and my 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 son actually works for Amazon. He's in the HR department, um, and he's in Seattle, and been been you know sheltering in place for longer than all of us. So they, they yeah, kind of started here.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking now. Uh, like you know, if you go to if you go to Amazon, you type in a you. If you type in James, uh, James Boswick, I know you go by Jim, but if you if you type in James Boswick, I just Googled it. You have Amazon, you have goodreads.com, you have Simon Schuster, Post Hill Press, yes. Audible.com. It's all there. So just you know, that's probably it's the best there. easiest way for people to find it. Um very good. Very good. Well, thank you. I appreciate the chat.
2: Thank you. it's, it's been
0: fun.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it good. very much.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off.